Good morning, Mission View Church. It's good for us to be here together, for us to worship him. It was sweet to worship God and just to focus on his word. Last week, um, we continued on, and we will continue on through 2 Corinthians, but last week we had Mark Leggett come and present the word and just talk about the work of warfare that we are engaged in on a daily battle. Now, in one of the verses that Mark read last week, it said this. He said, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, he said, put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. See, Paul is continuing this idea that we have a work, that we have a ministry, something that he wants us to be engaged in on a daily basis. And he reminded us last week that this is something that we can bring discredit or credit to in the way that we live our life. Now, what's interesting, right after that verse, he says all the hardships that we're going to face. And so this makes it realistic that there's afflictions, there's hardships, there's calamity, there's beatings. Now, I haven't received those myself. I've received some hardships, but not beatings. But Paul, the Apostle Paul knew very well what that was about. And he says, there's no excuse. The environment that we're in, we still have to bring credit to God. And then he tells us the things that we need to do, in a sense, proactively of living out this faith. He gives a whole list in, verse, in the verse that, that uh, Mark read last week. He talks about we are to be patient, we are to be kind, we are to be genuine, and he gives a list of like nine things. But what's interesting, the very first word that he puts in that list is purity. Purity. We are to be pure. Now, I did a little word study on the word pure, and it really wasn't too impressive. It basically was a very broad term, and it meant practical righteousness that was uncontaminated. Practical righteousness that's uncontaminated. So what does that mean? In other words, what God is doing is he has put his righteousness in us, and he wants that to naturally flow through us so that it could be seen by the world. Here is a picture of what this word means. This is you. This is me. If we are a Christ follower, you are a mirror. That's all we are. That is what we do. We simply reflect Christ to a lost world. But what he is talking about is there is a time, there is a possibility in this life of ours, God knowing our fleshly nature, where we can put mud, we can put all kinds of things on this mirror that would limit our positive reflection of Christ. And what he wants is he wants the church to be pure. Now, my friends, if there is a time for the church to be pure, it is in today's world. Have you looked at the headlines? Did you see what a crazy week we had? There were people that were absolutely elated with the news of President Trump-elect. And there were people that are, were in mourning and still are in mourning. There are riots that are happening in major cities. There are people that voted for Trump that were pulled out of their cars in Chicago and were just beaten. And we see this world that we live in, and in so many ways, so many ways, this world is so defiled, so divided, and if there's ever a time for the church to reflect Christ, it is right now. It is right now. The darker it becomes, the brighter our light becomes. And so that is our responsibility. 
My friends, church purity is very important to God. I was thinking about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27 this week. I was just meditating on it and thinking about what Jesus is doing. Jesus is preparing this thing called the church, also known as his bride. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. He wants to present the church to himself in splendor. In splendor, without spot or without wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God's goal, his job, is to present us pure before him on that day that he takes us home. So God is working with all of his might and his sovereignty to make the church pure. So what should we do? It is a high value to God that we are pure. Look at these verses. 1 Timothy 4.12 tells us, Let no one look down or despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We're told in Philippians 4.8 that we are to think and dwell upon pure things. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he tells us in 2 Timothy 2.22, he calls us to the action of purity. He says this, so flee youthful passions. In other words, flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, there's a reason why purity is so vitally important to God. It is a high value. And there's a kind of a twofold reason. First of all, God is pure. There is nothing within God that has blemish. There is nothing in God that is unholy. He is pure through and through. And because he is pure and we are now his children, when we gave our life to Christ and he poured his righteousness on us, he expects us to be pure in his likeness because we are a reflection of Christ. That's why purity is so important. But here's the deal. God does know who we are. He knows that we still deal with this flesh of ours. He knows that there is something inside of us, this struggle between the flesh and the spirit so that we don't do the things that we ought to do, as Galatians 5 talks about. He knows there's that flesh. He knows there's that battle. Proverbs chapter 4 says this, above all, guard your heart. See, that's why he tells us to do this, because he knows the battle is there. Guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. And then he goes on, he says, put perversity from our mouth. Why? Because we might be prone to having perversity on our mouth. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Make level paths for your feet. Take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left but you are to keep your footing. My friends, our struggle for purity is multifaceted. In this world of ours, it comes in many forms. It can be in sexual, it can be sexual in nature, where we get off course sexually. It can be doctrinal, where we can be impure doctrinally. It can be in our associations, the people that we associate with. It can be materialistic. It can be in our habits. It can be in our addictions. And what God is calling for us to do is to engage in the battle on a very serious level. But know this, the enemy wants nothing more 
than to defile the believer. He wants to discredit you as a warrior for God. He wants to discredit, discredit your witness any way that he can do that. I'm going to read to you a journal entry that I made several years ago. It was actually March 4th, 2011. And it was actually the beginning of Jemshed. This is when I first met Jemshed, and it was also the first time I met Pastor Ramazan. And we have sent teams over to be with Pastor Ramazan and work in Turkey. And now we have sent, we've sent Pat over to Jastikistan. I'll be going over there in a, just after Thanksgiving. And so I, I want you to kind of see the context of this journal entry is that there could have been a discredit to a ministry before it even got started. So I want you to see what happened. I've never read this to anyone, so I'm making myself vulnerable here. Here's what I wrote, and this is what I wrote after the trip. The first notable part of this journey was a plane ride from Moscow to Antalya. This was a three and a half hour journey, and I was placed in seat 11F, which was a window seat in a groupings of three. Yes, I was pinned in six foot two, for the duration. Fortunately, I was amongst people of my own caliber, Russian professional soccer players. <laughs> In fact, my whole section was filled with 20, about 20 studly, perfect specimens of humanity who, who were in their peak physical condition. With a vivid imagination, I could see these guys as my homies. Okay, maybe not. In addition to all this, I was seated next to two Russian gods. I concluded this because the masses of players were paying their homage as they went by to talk to these players. At least I could get some good reading in while I was there because I didn't see myself engaging in stimulating conversation about soccer. The only experience I had was coaching a U8 team for my little kids. Oh, whoa. Let me tell you about my U8 experience. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. About 30 minutes into the flight, I got my big surprise. Mr. Soccer Player, uh, Mr. Soccer Star, had a couple of girly magazines that he was going to read for the duration. I'm sure it was for the articles. Oh, great. I have to deal with Mr. Stud looking at nudie pictures all the way to Antalya. Now, if I could be so real and vulnerable, I had just spent a week away from my wife. I didn't need these kind of temptations. And I do want you to know that pastors are tempted. As my, as my neighbor got started on his fleshly feast, I decided to reach down into my book bag and grab the only book that was in my book bag entitled, I Don't Want a Divorce. <laughs> what an appropriate title. I am not making this up at all. It was on my read list. So I started reading this book. And I felt like the Spirit of God kept saying, Steve, stay focused. Talk with me, which I did. I quoted scriptures in between the pages. And now, the problem was he was holding the magazines right out in front for the entire world to see. My problem wasn't my right eye because that was on the window side. It was my left eye. So I put my hand up to shield my left eye, and I started, as soon as my hand started getting numb, I went ahead and shifted my backside towards him and started reading towards the window. So I kept on praying that God would convict this guy to put those things away. Little did I realize that my antics were sending a clear message, and he did put them away, praise Jesus. As we got our in-flight food, 
I thought it only appropriate to introduce myself and find out if he spoke any English. To my surprise, he spoke perfect English, and he told me that his name was Tommy and that he was from Croatia and that he was recruited to play pro ball for Russia. Interesting. He then asked me if I was religious, for he saw that I was reading a religious book. I suppose he could see my book out of his right eye. This began a two-and-a-half-hour dialogue about the gospel. The bottom line is that this Tommy had felt his entire life God had been pursuing him and that he wanted him to be committed to God. He really did not know what being committed to God really looked like, and so he told me his story. He told me his story of going from rags to riches, and in that he had fame, he had women, he had endless parties, and yet he said that none of them fulfilled him. And now that he was at a ripe old age of 30, he was thinking about marriage and having a family, and he wanted to be the right person. I asked him how those magazines fit into his plan. I was honest with him and told him that my desire in life is to be a man who honors my wife and not look at another woman lustfully. I told him that the greater issue that he had was his need for Christ. After we walked through the Gospels, I challenged Tommy to investigate the Gospels and to study Jesus. It would be at this place that he would find peace, true peace, fulfillment, and salvation. But in order for this to happen, he had to move past mere belief to belief in repentance. And I took some time to explain what that means. I suppose through this situation, uh, I suppose that through this situation that God was reminding me that famous jocks need Jesus and that it's good to keep my left eye shield because people are watching everything I do and God is too. I was also reminded that it is good to engage in the battle for the victory comes in keeping our focus on God. This morning, that's what we want to do. We want to be men and women of integrity because people are watching our lives. Today, our outline is simple. It is a call to purity. We are in a position of purity and that there is action that is required of us for purity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we live in a very dark world. And this world is not something to be feared, but it is to re we are to realize that you want to do something through your church. And Lord, you've put Mission View Church here in North Canton to be a positive influence in this region. Not only in this region, but in Ohio and in other countries. You have given us the Acts 1-8 initiative yourself. And that you want us to have our focus on the gospel in different places that you are leading us. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that even though we would, uh, we would desire to be a witness in these places, it has to start at home. It has to start in our own personal lives. So help us to seriously evaluate our calling. And I pray, Father, for your working in Christ's name. Amen. So let's start with a call to purity. Look at verse 14 to 16. It says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what, uh, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
Now, in order for us to understand this passage, we need to understand the context here. The one of the last verses that Mark read to us last week and expounded upon is that Paul said, open your hearts wide to me. Now, there was a reason that Paul was saying, open your hearts wide to me. He was saying that because there was a sense of competition. There were other suitors that were coming along that were false teachers that were trying to win the affection of the Corinthian people. And so the primary application in this passage is of doctrinal purity. He wanted the church to be doctrinally pure. He wanted them to come to where the teaching was going to be given in a pure fashion. Now, I say that because there's been many applications uh, with this idea of not being unequally yoked that's been given over the years. I know when I was a youth pastor, I used this as a primary passage to talk about how we as students should not date unbelievers or, or marry unbelievers. Now, it's a great application that comes out of the passage, but it's not the primary application. I've heard businessmen talk about how we should not be in partnership in our businesses with somebody of a different value system, which I think is a great application, but it's not the primary. The primary one was doctrinal purity that Paul wanted for the Corinthian believers. He knew that in second, in fact, in, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he would tell the, uh, the Corinthians, don't be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So when Paul starts off by saying, do not be unequally yoked, I would imagine for the Jewish people, there was actually a little bit of a chuckle there because they knew the history behind this. They knew it went back to a law that was given in Deuteronomy 22.10. Now, for the Jewish people, that was an agricultural society where they were farming their own crops and things like that. When you're an agrarian society, you know certain things are true. And there was a law that was given. It must have been for the handbook for dummies. Okay, it must have been the law for dummies because everybody knows you don't put an oxen and a donkey together. And that's really what the law says in Deuteronomy. Don't put an oxen and a donkey together. Well, why don't you put an oxen and a donkey together? Well, one is, un one is unclean, the donkey, and one is clean, the oxen. But more importantly, they have two natures. In their natures, the oxen was made to work. You put a harness on them, he goes to work. He, he is fulfilled by plowing and plowing and plowing. Donkey, not so much. Donkeys are meant to be, they're kind of like a bulldog. They are obstinate. They will do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it. You, you can't make them do it. You can try to prod them. You can try to hit them. But they are going to do what they want to do. And so this is the vivid picture that he is giving here, that you don't put these two things together. You don't harness them to plow your fields. The point here is that we are not, as believers, to be harnessed together with somebody with the opposite nature of ours. You see, when you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came and lived within you. And so he put a new nature within you. But then there is somebody that is lost. They, have a, they still have a fallen nature, and it's two natures, kind of like an oxen and a donkey, being harnessed together. Now, please note here that God is not saying that we should not have a witness with lost people or that we should avoid lost people. He's not saying that at all. Very clearly, we see the weight of Scripture talking about our influence in a lost world. The key here 
is harnessing. It's being yoked. It is being bound together with an individual. And so there are times that relationships step up in their commitment to one another where it is, uh, it is something where God says, you've got to make sure there is two beautiful natures that work together. And so he gives five questions in this passage. Look at these questions again and notice how he uses a different word for being yoked together in all five questions. He says this, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Partnership is your word. It's kind of this yokeness. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is actually a word that means worthless one. It was a title given for Satan. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Do you see what he's doing? He's making a contrast. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's the kingdom of darkness. They have nothing to do with each other. So here's the point. Christians are not to be bound together with unbelievers in any spiritual enterprise or relationship that will be detrimental to our testimony in Christ. See, what this means is that we are not to be bound doctrinally to a church that is teaching the wrong things. There are some people here that you have come out of churches that have taught wrong things. I came out a long time ago of a church that was impure. I should not be bound to that church because of the things that they were teaching. And if you are here because you left that church so that you can be a part of a church that's going to teach the Word of God, then congratulations. That's not church hopping. That's just smart. That is just obedient. There are some that are trying to be bound with unbelievers in dating or in marriage. Please understand, that goes against what God is saying in the counsel of God's Word. There are some high school students that you already have it in your mind that that's is okay, I can kind of go down this road, and I could probably give you one married couple after another married couple who understands the agony and the difficulty of being bound with somebody that doesn't know Christ. We're not to do it in business either. See, here's the point. It is vital that we see that this really isn't about us. That's the whole point. It's not about us. It's about him, our reflection on Christ. Everything we do reflects on Christ. Our job is to continually shine a positive light on Christ. Our call to purity is a call to separate ourselves from the things that would dull or defile the righteousness of Christ that is seen in us. Some time ago, I had a relative come to me and say, hey, would you perform my wedding? Immediately, I had two concerns. First was, my relative was a believer, but his fiance was not. The second one was that they were living together. Now, that's really difficult when it is a relative. It was actually an uncle. So it was kind of, this is someone older than me, and they're coming and asking me to do this wedding. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get together and talk. So when we got together, I said, I got a couple questions for you, and this will determine whether you want to go further uh, in this counseling and our time together. The first question is this. Do you want to be married God's way or your way? Well, of course, yeah, we want God's way. We want God's way. That's the answer. We want God's way. Okay, good, 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 good. One more question. Just bear with me. Since God's way is found in the Bible, whatever we find in the Bible, are you willing to do? 
Now they're scratching their heads a little bit more because, A, they don't know what's in the Bible. B, they don't know what that's going to mean for them. But then they talked about it. They said, yeah, whatever is in the Bible, we're willing to do. I said, great. Let's proceed forward. We'll talk about your wedding and me doing your wedding a little bit later. Let's just proceed forward. And so we met together for several weeks. And as we did, the light of the gospel helped unveil her heart. And she came to know Christ, which was a beautiful thing. The other thing that took place is that they realized that they were living in disobedience to God because God says sex before marriage is not right. God wants us to be a pure people, and God has called us to live in purity before marriage, and that sex is something that comes after marriage, not before marriage. And they basically actually were very repentant. They said, we have been a poor example to the nieces and nephews. We have been a poor example, and so we are going to separate, and we will live in two different places for the next six months until we get married. And it was a beautiful now, that doesn't always happen. I want you to know that. It doesn't always happen that way, but it was a beautiful thing. And so this was something that they did. It was because they were called to purity. So here's my question for the Christian. Christian, to whom or what are you being bound? To whom or what are you being bound that might be bringing a bad name to Christ? Because what God is calling us to is he's calling us to purity. So he goes on in the passage, and he says, not only are we called to purity, but we're in this position of purity. Take a look at this in verse 16. He says this. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul is making an emphatic statement he is making a phatic statement uh, right here that they were the temple of the living God. Notice he says you're not like a, a temple or that you resemble the temple. He says, no, no, no. You are the temple of the living God. Now, for the Jewish reader, this was like, oh, my goodness. You're saying I am the temple of the living God? This was a startling type of revelation because they went to the temple but for them to now be the temple was an incredible statement. And so what we see from the scripture, this idea of temple has this idea of purity interwoven in it on a macro level and on a micro level. See, on a macro level, this is what we know. It is a corporate temple, not just an individual temple. We're told this in Ephesians 2. It says, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling. Get this, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Hear that. He's building something for him to dwell among us. And if you were to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, you would see a parallel to this where Christ is the cornerstone and he says, you guys are all living stones. We're all living stones in this temple and God is here dwelling among us in this temple. And in this temple, we're a holy priesthood. We're offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. The point here is that God is making his dwelling among us. My friends, this is why what we do here on Sunday morning is so vital. God is dwelling among us. 
When we come in here, it's not about the comfort of the seat or the comfort of the air. It's not about the, the things that, that, you know, where who sat in my seat, how dare them. It's not about the, the, the songs, if it's too fast or it's too slow. It's not about those things. It's about God. It's about dwelling together with God. When we worship, we sing scripture. We worship by listening to the word of God being explained to us. It's about dwelling with God because that on a macro level, this is what God wants. He wants to dwell among us. But there's also a micro level. On an individual basis, there's an individual responsibility to keep my temple clean. Now, one passage that highlights this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. You see, just as we corporately dwell with God, God dwells within this body of ours. And so what we're to do is we're to create an environment for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And the key phrase is, you are not your own. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. This body of yours, not yours, his. It belongs to him all the way. I've heard some horrendous stories from friends of mine that own rental properties. I've heard some good stories as well. See, the good tenants are the people that beautify the property. They take care of the property and they make it feel very, very homey. But then there's the horrible tenant, the horrible tenant who kicks a hole in the wall and he doesn't care because it's not his property. He spills stuff on the carpet and doesn't clean it up. Why? It's not his property. He invites friends and they trash the place and he doesn't care because it's not his property. I find that believers take one of those two approaches with their own bodies. We either beautify or we vandalize. Which is it, brothers? Which is it, sisters? Christians what is your view concerning your body? Beautification or vandalism? You see, if it's beautification, then we are concerned with creating a healthy environment by giving proper attention to our spiritual, our emotional, our physical, our social health. That's what God wants to do. But if we are vandals, then we will not meet with God to take care of this temple and allow him to give us instructions. We will neglect ourselves emotionally because life is hard and we go through emotional trauma. We will allow ourselves to be associate with reckless people and we will be willing to abuse our bodies with food, with cigarettes, with alcohol, with a lack of exercise. See, what we're talking about is what do we do with this temple of ours? And God is asking us to purify. So here we have it. We're called to purity. There's a position of purity because this is a temple. But he also says there's actions in purity. And in closing out, this is what he says in verse 17. He is calling us to actions. There's three action points. Number one, action number one, separation. He says this in in, in, in verse 17, he's actually quoting Isaiah 52, 11, when he says, 
Therefore, go out from their midst and be separated from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, says the Lord. You first got to separate before I welcome you. So why is he quoting this verse? The answer to show that they were to separate themselves from the practices of the lost. In other words, he, he's writing a people in, in the Old Testament that look no different than the pagan nations. Pagan nation, one way. Christian nation or the, 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 the chosen nation, I should say, no different than the pagan nation. And I wonder, and I think Paul quotes this because this was true in the church. Pagan nation, one way. Church, the same way. And so Paul was calling them out to separate and say, there has to be a distinct difference with each and every one of us. See, in the Old Testament, the, old, the, the, the people of Israel were, who were God's chosen people, they were his anointed. God had done so much to set them apart. He wanted them to be a bright light, to bring a good reputation to God's name. And yet they constantly intermixed with those that had differing values. And so the things that they struggled with then are the same things I think we struggle with now. Infidelity, materialism, desire for power, greed, and of course, all kinds of sexual sins. And he says, be separate. But notice the grace of God. He says, when we separate, I will welcome you. That's the grace of God. He's always in this place of, of welcoming, welcoming us because he wants to do the next thing. The next thing is he wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring restoration. Take a look at the second verse in 18. He says, he's actually quoting Ezekiel 20 now. He says, and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. See, this was his call for restoration. In this, what we see is the heart of a father wanting to restore estranged children, estranged sons and daughters, so that they were in right relationship with him. See, it's a father who has the heart of his kids and wants nothing more for than his kids to come back and to be in restored relationship with him. Now, some of you guys know that Lee and I have undergone a little bit of a transformation this summer. We have been inter entered into the ranks of being grandparents. Ah. I'll just, I'll trust that she won't spit up on me. <laughs> <laughs> this is Baby Faye. Baby Faye has made a huge impact on our life. And by the way, we will be second-time grandparents because my son Josh and Lynn are expecting their child in March 2nd, and we're excited about that. But I'm proud that I can hold baby Faye, and Lee and, Lee and I both have reflected every time we hold Faye, it reminds us when we had our children. And when we had our children, and they were this age, and they were so innocent, so pure, no parent raises their kids to be drug dealers. No parent says, man, someday I hope she'll be a stripper. No, no parent says, someday I hope that they will be a rebel and that they are just going to wreck the world. Nobody does that. No, when we, as, especially because of the nature God has put within us, 
We pray over our kids. We seek God's face. We labor from day one, and day one being the moment we know they're conceived, we start praying, we're on our knees, we're begging, we're pleading, and that's certainly the way we were as grandparents with Faye. And so I can remember for each of our kids when we dedicated them to the Lord, and we did that specifically. We did it in church because we wanted our kids to be dedicated before the Lord and to his word and to the church. And our promise is that we would do everything we could to cultivate the right relationship with our kids and now our grandkids. And what an awesome thing and an awesome privilege it is to do that. This week, I got to see some, one of the most beautiful things because there are times in the world where the children are not raised right. There are times when parents have a wrong view and they neglect their kids. And sometimes they get put into the system. You know the system. And so this week we got to see Liliana being adopted. The adoption was complete with the Chandlers. And there are others that have adopted children in our ministry. And just to go to before the, the, the court and to see the judge, uh, Dixie Park, for her to question the family. Josh, I was super impressed that you knew everybody's name. That was great, because there was a lot of people from Mission View in the courtroom celebrating this fact, because it's a beautiful thing to raise our kids in the love and admonition of the Lord. But why do we do it? We do it because it is a parental instinct that we got from the Father. And just like the Father nurtures and cares for us and wants us to stay on the right path. We do that for our own kids. And when our kids do get off, if they ever do get off the path, we will ever seek them. We will ever pursue them. We will ever pray for them just like the Father does for us. He wants nothing more than to restore. And for those of you that are parents like Lee and I, who have kids that are estranged from the Lord, you know what I mean. This is what he wants of us. But the point of the passage is this. He wants all of us to be in right relationship. So here's my question. Christian, are you estranged from God? Because God wants you home. He wants you. He cares for you just like I care for my granddaughter, he cares for you in such a beautiful way. And he wants you to come home. The passage we read earlier is so beautiful. James 4, 7 and 8. I'll just read it again. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your heart, you double-minded. This is what it takes to Draw near to God and restore yourself to God. We submit. We resist the devil. We come near. We wash, our, we wash our hands. We purify our hearts. These are practical steps in restoration. And you just farted. <laughs> I'm going to give you back to mom. <laughs> Let's close out with the last thing that he tells us to do. He says that he wants purification. Look at the very last verse that we're looking at, chapter 7, verse 1, and this is what Paul says. 
He says, since we have these promises, and he's talking about the promises that God is going to be there. He says, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. My friends, this is what he wants. He, there's a negative and there's a positive here. The negative first is he wants us to cleanse ourselves from the impurities in our life, the things that contaminate us. God wants us to evaluate the things that defile, the things that, that are on our mirror that need to be cleaned off so that we are pure reflection of Christ. He wants us to evaluate that. And sometimes it means actions. Actually, it should mean action. It might mean that you need to take a media fast because you've been affected by the things of the world. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe there is a habit that is hurting you that you need to give up and you need to do away with. Is your spiritual growth stunted with God? Then need, you need to make a plan of action. And so what God wants is for us to cleanse ourselves from the things that defile the body. And we have to think through, I can't do that for anybody else. The only person I can do that for is myself. I can't do it for my wife. I can't do it for my children. I can't do it for you. But you can do it for you. That's what you have to do. And here's the positive thing. We are to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Notice what he says, holiness. Holiness means to be set apart, and completion means maturity. In other words, God wants us to grow up. It's time to grow up and be responsible adults as Christians for us to do the things that are necessary, and we do this in light of the fear or the awe of God. It's up to you to come to church on a regular basis where we will preach the word of God. It's up to you to surround yourself with people that will help you along in this journey. It's up to you to say, I need mentored right now because I'm at a place where I am extremely vulnerable. Now, our job as a church is to provide the environment. We're to provide the watering hole. We're going to give you a beautiful, pristine place in which you can drink from God's word whether it's corporately, whether it's in a small group, or whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, but it's up to you to drink. I can't make you drink. And so he is saying, this is our responsibility. And so the question is this, Christian, what steps of purification will you take? As we close out our worship service this morning, we're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. And sometimes we just sing a song and the altar becomes where you are. But this morning, what I actually want is for this to become the altar. And I'm going to ask that you would respond to God by coming. If, this is something, if there's something on your heart that God's speaking to you and you say, yeah, there's something that I definitely need to be made right with God. And there's two reasons I see us getting out of our seats. Number one, it takes humility for us to admit that we have areas to work on in our life. And all of us have areas to work on. But second, it firms up our decision. Today is the day I will make this decision. So however God is working on your heart, God is calling us to be a pure church. Let's respond in obedience. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we're asking, Father, that your spirit would work in this body. And Lord, I have no idea where people are at in terms of their need. All I can say is I know that there's areas that you have put upon my own heart. 
and areas that you want me to respond to you in. And so, Lord, just even going through this passage, I've had to kneel before you throughout the week and respond in areas that you are working in my own heart. And so, Lord, you see us as worshipers. And there is something that you are placing upon individual hearts. And so I pray that as we stand, as we reflect, maybe some would need to respond and that we would come and make this house a house of prayer as we come before you with our own personal areas that we need to work on. We pray that in your name. Would you please stand? Hey, everybody. It's great to worship with you this morning. Uh, here are your announcements to take away. Uh, next week is our Celebration Sunday, so we've got all sorts of great stuff going on, child dedication. We're going to have a sort of Thanksgiving uh, lunch type of dinner type of meal thing uh, afterwards. So if your last name is A through G, bring a dessert. H through M, bring a salad. M through Z, bring a side dish. And we're going to provide the, what is it, the turkey and the ham and mashed potatoes. So that's going to be great. Uh, men and women, if you're a man or a woman, listen up, because this is for you. <laughs> Ladies, uh, the if tables are coming up. So there's a couple different options. You can go ahead and uh, look online for details there, or you can connect with Kelly Hansen or Sarah Mast if you see them around. And then men, if you're interested in being mentored uh, for the 2017 year, um, we're signing up for the Men of Iron Mentorships again. Um, but on the 19th, we're going to watch the uh, Ohio State-Michigan game together. So that's coming up. And then finally, um, one of the things that we're doing this year is uh, Christmas blessing bags or holiday blessing bags. And our, our goal is to have about 200 or 250 of them. And right now we're at like 23. So go over to the, to the welcome table over there. Um, there's some Ziploc bags that you can grab. And uh, we're filling them with, with various things, various supplies, hygiene items, clothing items for Syrian refugees. So that's something that you can be a part of, and that'll go through December 4th. Uh, go enjoy time in the commons. Have a great week. Now it's all